There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's stand and turn to Psalm chapter number 75. Psalm chapter number 75. Been going through a series where we've gone place to place, time to time uh, in the Bible, looking at the phrase, but God. We've kind of put it under the heading, God interrupts. <laughs> and it isn't just like God to interrupt our business, our lives, and get right down in the middle and change stuff all around. We find that He interrupts us in many different areas. And today I want to show you another one in Psalm chapter number 75. We'll start reading in verse 1. Psalm 75 and verse 1. Unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks. For that day that, that thy name is near, thy wonderful works declare. When I, sh- when I shall receive the congregation, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all the inhabitants thereof are dissolved, and I bear up the pillar, pillars of it, Selah. I said unto the fools, deal not foolishly, and to the wicked, lift up not the horn. Lift up not, lift not up your horn on high, speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge, he putteth down one, and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. And the wine is red, and it is full of mixture, and he poureth out the same, but the dregs thereof, all of the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises unto the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Look back at verse 7. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to talk about, but God is the judge. Here we find God interrupts our rule. God interrupts our ruling and reigning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, we are so thankful that Jesus died upon that cross for our sins. Let us never get over the fact that Jesus shed His precious blood for our sin on that cross. God, I pray that You would confront us today with Your judgeship. I pray that You would show us Your authority, Your ability, Your power and might through the Word of God. God, I pray that we would go on in the days ahead without hesitancy, Father, without uh, wavering in the truth that You are on the throne, that You are the judge, that You set one up and You bring another down, Father. 
Oh God, I pray for those that are in this room lost today. They've never been confronted with their sin and their need of a Savior. I pray they'd come face to face with the judge of the universe, Father. And I pray they'd throw themselves upon the mercy because there is mercy to be found in your court and it's at the foot of the cross. Oh God, we pray you'd save sinners. God, stir up the heart of the saints. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I'm not real good at point of time messages and headline messages and Father's Day and Mother's Day or whatever messages that uh, come along that preachers are supposed to do on holidays or on special events in the nation. But I can't dodge the fact that Tuesday we are going to go into a voting booth. Hopefully all of us are going to go into a voting booth and we're going to choose a new president. A replacement for the one whose presidency will expire. Now the most important thing... Well, there's a lot of important things going on in this presidency, and this election. But one of the most important things is the fact that the new president over his next term has the possibility of replacing new justices in the Supreme Court. Have you heard that one on the news? How that whoever is the next president, there's a possibility that they could replace one, maybe two, on the Supreme Court in our nation you can be assured that this appointment will affect the direction of our nation in more of a lasting way than just the presidency of four short years. This person will set for a possibility of 20 to 30 years in the seat of judicial decision for our nation. Now the question is, what kind of judge will we get? Will the judge be a deconstructionalist? Which, uh, which, which, uh, this, in this judge, they'll be deviating from that so-called archaic point of view from the founding fathers and imposing social acceptabilities as judicial rulings? Or will it be the constructionalists? The ones whose rulings are strictly given by the precepts of our nation's founding document, the Constitution. Who will go up as our next, uh, 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 as our next Supreme Court justice? I tell you, the future is uncertain for the judgeship roles of the Supreme Court of the United States. However, there is only one judge that really matters. A judge whose power extends far beyond the scope of our legal system. A judge whose ascendancy was before the dawn of time. A judge whose judgments are etched in the granite of eternity. A judge whose verdicts upon unrighteousness are just and forever and whose acquittals are merciful and uncontested. Psalm 75, 7 says, God is the judge. We must remember that no matter what happens on Tuesday, God is the judge. And so it's important that we, uh, we find out that God's rule overrides man's rule. That God's rule oftentimes interrupts the rule of man. God performs His perfect will according to His perfect plan. No matter what the heathen rage no matter what the, 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 the socialists and the liberals shake their fist in God's face, God's rule will 
prevail. Every human being on the top side of this globe must come to the realization that God is and will be their judge. Each and every one of us can understand this by grasping four truths laid out in our text. My endeavor today is to pull out four truths and confront you with the fact that God is our judge. Now the first the first truth is this. He overshadows the pride of our rule. God overshadows the pride of our rules. The psalmist who starts out giving praise to God and beginning to address God, he, he, begin, he turns his attention to the people around him. We know in verse 1 and 2, he's talking to God. God, unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. But then in verse 4, he said, I said to the fools, deal not foolishly, to the wicked lift up not thine, uh, lift up not the horn. And it begins to tell us of this prideful people who, who uh, God overshadows in his ability, in his stature, in his position. Notice, first of all, we see the pride of a rebellious works. The pride of rebellious works. Look at verse 4. He said, I said unto the fools, deal not foolishly. At the very heart of sin is a rebellion toward God. The boastful people uh, do boast, do boastful things. That's what this word foolish means. It means uh, to lift one up. It actually can be translated in other passages of Scripture to mean praise. But here we find a people, a boastful people, a prideful people doing prideful things, doing boastful things. And anytime you find a prideful person, you will find prideful deeds, which is called sin. In their pride, they rebel against the God-given conscience and break God's law. Do you realize that God wrote His law on your heart? Yes, it's there. The Ten Commandments written on the tables of your heart. And when you sin, when you lie, steal, commit adultery, lust, hate, covet, our conscience is pricked. And so to rebel against that conscience is to step beyond God's law and to break His law, to sin. When we lie, steal, and murder, and blaspheme, we show our rebellious works toward God. Yet God is the judge and will bring all to justice. No one can run from the long hand of the uh, law of God. No man can outrun God. No man can get beyond the bounds of His reach. You see, he is the, we see the pride of the rebellious works. Notice the overshadowing of the pride of a revolting will. Look at what verse 4 says, the latter part. And to the wicked, lift not up the horn. Look at verse 5. Lift not up your horn on high. What is he talking about here? People don't have horns, Brother Ronnie. Well, the horn here is a picture of strength and power. Many thought that in animals, their strength, the strength of an animal is pictured in their horn, in the horn of an animal. In their willful pride, they say, not thy will be done, but my will be done. They're lifting up themselves, exalting themselves. Barnes said it best, a Bible commentator said it best. They attempt to put forth their strength 
in accomplishment of their evil purposes. I think that's a, a pretty clear statement uh, of, their, uh, of their revolting will. They want to thrust their strength up above the strength of God. And what do we find God saying in verse 7? I'm your judge. I exert power over you. You're underneath His shadow of ability. We see the pride of rebellious works. The, the pride of revolting will. Notice also the, the pride of resistant words. Look at the latter part of verse 5. Speak not with a stiff neck. They stiffen their neck and direct their arguments toward God. They raise up in pride and they shake their fists like Christopher Hitchens' book is called God is not mighty and God is dead and there is no God. They lift up and, 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 and spew out their words of resistance towards God. Wasn't that what turned the world upside down for Nebuchadnezzar? Do you remember what happened in Nebuchadnezzar's time? Deuteronomy 4 uh, and verse 30 and 31, Nebuchadnezzar went up on the top of his, of his uh, uh, palace, looked over his great kingdom, and this is what he said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom of, my, of the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? King Nebuchadnezzar said, beat his chest and said, Boy, what a little good boy I am. Boy, what a good man I am. Boy, what a mighty ruler I am. What strength I have. And in his words, God began to condemn him. The next verse 31 says, While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. Just like verse 7, he brings them up and he takes them down. You see, their revolting words shows their pride against God. Now you may say to yourself, Oh, Brother Ronnie, I'm not a king. I'm not. Well, listen, you, I'll never forget in the woods of North Carolina, I said those blasphemous, revolting words of God and shook my fist. All the while, God, the judge of the universe, hung over me, overshadowed my prideful heart. Oh, you may think you have your life within the reins of your ability. You may think you have the hold of the direction of your life. This psalm shows us that God is the judge. That He has the reins of your life. He sets them up. He brings them down. You see, He is a God that overshadows our rule. Notice, secondly, not over God that overshadows the pride of our rule, but a God that oversteps the promotion of our rule. Look at verse uh, Look at verse 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Here we have the, uh, uh, the psalmist telling us in man's uh, attempt to raise himself up, to ascend to some powerful or prestigious position, God trumps his attempts. You ever played Rook before? I love to have the trump card. Amen. No matter what's going on, I can bam, throw that trump down in that baby's mind. Well, listen, God takes the, the feeble, futile attempts of man to rule in power and might and trumps them with his ability. Notice, first of all, we see the oft-mistaken source of promotion. He said in verse 6, the promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. Man looks for horizontal steps in order to gain 
promotion, to exalt himself uh, above those around him. Men's view of promotion is lateral. It's horizontal. It's around them. They think, uh, well, if he gets in the right school, and well, if he gets the right apprenticeship, if you get the right job, you can really go somewhere. If you get the right mate, if you get the right connections, if you get the right phrasing. I've been amazed. I was listening to a story the other day, and they were talking about these political speeches and the things that politicians say, especially our presidential candidates. Do you realize that every word is choreographed? That every phrase is, is, is conformed and molded and, and shaped to give, to yield a certain reaction? Oh, how men try to choose the right words, try to choose the right relationships, to better themselves, to up themselves. But like the old uh, story that I heard, you ever heard about the man that climbed the ladder of success all the way to the top and realized it's on the wrong wall? That's exactly the way it is when it comes to God. Listen, I, I'm not discouraging anybody from school. I'm not discouraging anybody for pursuing a good job, for pursuing the right mate. But if that in itself is your way to climb the ladder of power, to climb the ladder of prestige, to climb the ladder above those around you, and even dare say above the rule of God, it's futile. He said, look to the north, look to the south, the east, the west. You'll not find a way to lift yourself up, the oft-mistaken source of promotion, but also the almighty sovereign of promotion. Look at verse 7. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. And setteth up another. You see, God is the judge. First Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. Luke one fifty two. Mary said in that prayer unto God, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted the low of degree. If there is a God in heaven whose judgments are true and right, who sets up men and takes others down. Spurgeon said it this way, Empires rise and fall at his bidding. The, a dungeon here, a throne there, his will assigns. Assyria yields to Babylon, Babylon to the Medes. Kings are but puppets in his hand. They serve his purpose when they rise and when they fall. I'm telling you what, what a sense of confidence when you go in there and do your citizen right, do the right thing, go and vote, but when you click that voting booth, when you punch that panel, when you make that mark, praise God, there's a God in heaven that takes men up and brings them down. He will accomplish His will. He will accomplish His purpose no matter what the foundations of our political figures are, no matter what uh, their, uh, their, uh, the, what they stand on, what they stand for. God will accomplish His purposes. Amen? Amen. He will accomplish it. He is the almighty sovereign of promotion. We've seen the God that overshadows the pride of our rule. The God that oversteps the promotion of our rule. You say, Brother Ronnie, I've been doing everything I can to try to make it in this world, trying to climb this ladder, and all I'm getting is knocked down, all I'm getting is uh, waylaid back and forth. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you're not calling on God, if you're not independent of Him, if you don't have your eyes upon Him, you're in for a world of hurt. You're in for a lots of ups and downs. 
You see, God raises them up and God sets them down. He oversteps the promotion of our rule. Not only that, He oversees the punishment of our rule. Notice verse 8. Look at verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is a full mixture, and He poureth it out the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. You see, the true fear of a judge comes from their ability to render punishment. You're not afraid of a lawyer like you are a judge. Isn't that the truth? You're not afraid of a politician like you are a judge. Why? Because they can render pronouncement. They can render judgment. What they say, what their gavel comes down on, will be done. You see, uh, this is a fearful thing. No matter what sinful man attempts to do to escape the judgment of God, he can't. read a story recently about Gary Tyndale, who was in a California courtroom charged with robbery. He asked the judge and was granted opportunity to go to the bathroom. While the bathroom door was guarded on the outside, uh, uh, this man... uh, Gary began to climb the water pipes and found an access hole in the ceiling, on the, uh, the ceiling panels. He then began to crawl in that little surface and try to find his way out. But sure enough, after a while, those ceiling tiles couldn't hold his weight and he come crashing down uh, from the ceiling. Guess where he landed? Right back in the judge's courtroom. <laughs> he couldn't run. He couldn't get away. He landed right back in the judge's courtroom the same. Now listen, there may be some that escape. There may be some that run the bounds of our country, run the bounds of a state, and they may get away. But be assured, you can't run away from God. You can't get away from Him. You can try and attempt to crawl and to scrape and to scrimp and to hide in the corners of your life, but you cannot escape the judgment of Almighty God. We see the floodgate of His punishment. Notice in verse 8 and chapter 8, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. The picture that is drawn here is this a picture of a cup of the wrath of God in His hand. The righteous wrath of God. This wrath is held solely by the will of the judge. Picture it now. The psalmist said, God is a judge. And He holds a cup of wrath. In his hand. Now you think about yourself. You imagine yourself holding a cup. And how gingerly, how easily you, you hold that cup. That's the way God is with his wrath. He holds it. A wrath that could rightfully and justly destroy this very universe at a moment's notice gingerly kept in the palm of his hand. Held back. Held back. Dare, dare I say. Held back but yet held in his hand. An angry God and as, uh, is held in the hands of an angry God as a cup, a drink uh, that we would hold in our hand. 
Romans uh, 2, 5 and 6 says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. God holds a flood tide of wrath in His hands for those that rebel and resist God. They will not bow the knee to Christ. They will not receive the gracious gift of salvation. They will not repent of their sins. They will not turn from living life of sin and self. And they go headlong into the wrath of Almighty God. He said He holds it like a cup. And at any moment He could pour it out. At any moment He could could divulge the the wrath of his, His righteous indignation upon this earth. The floodgate of punishment. But not only that, the fullness of His punishment. Look at the verse. He said in His hand there is a cup and the wine is red and it is full mixture. The language here is describing this wine of wrath as a boiling wine. Boiling wine. A wine that is under... That word red indicates a burning or a fire or a heat. It's talking about a boiling Wine, how they would intoxicate and would and would uh, intoxify the wine by boiling, and they're also undiluted. It was put in there. They they put in drugs and and different uh, uh, things to to dilute and, and to make the wine more powerful, more intoxicating. Oh, that's a description of God's wrath. God is angry with the wicked every day that uh, that cast aside His dear Son, the Lord Jesus. He is angry with the wicked every day. We see the fullness of God's wrath. The strength of this wrath is undiluted without mercy and forbearance. But in its fullness, it is the wrath of God. When we think about the wrath of God immediately, the scenes of hell, a burning hell, should come into our mind. The torments of fire and smoke, the anguish of a lake of eternal torment and fire. Revelation 20.15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into a lake of fire. The torment and anguish of all eternity resides in the hand of God the Judge. He is a judge that should be feared. He is a judge that should be feared. We see the fullness of His punishment, the, f- the, the, the floodgate of His punishment. Now finally, look at the focus of His punishment. Look at the latter part of the verse. He said, And all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and shall drink in them. Talking about the dregs, the most purest and concentrated sense of the wrath of Almighty God is is set aside and is waiting for the wicked, prideful souls that exalt themselves against God. Those that refuse so great a salvation that is found in Christ Jesus. Those that reject the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. They shall drink of the dregs of the righteous wrath of God. He is a judge to be feared. His his judgeship oversees the punishment of of our rule. You want to have your life and you want to take it in your direction. You want to do your own thing. You don't want God. You don't want some preacher, some Bible telling you how to live your life. Then have at it. But remember, there is a judge that one day will render to every man according to his deeds. You see, there is the, God oversees the punishment of our rule. God oversteps the promotion of our rule. God overshadows the pride of our rule. But notice last of all, God overshields 
the people of his rule. The people of his rule. Notice the last verse in verse 9 and 10. He said, but I will declare forever. (laughs) I will sing praises to the God uh, of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off. But the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Now, something's not quite right here. The true fear of a judge. Of we see finally here. What a horrible vision we have in verse 8, don't we? God's wrath held in His hand at the whim of a moment could unleash it on this earth, could unleash it on the wicked of this world at any moment. What a horrifying scene into the glimpse of the undiluted wrath of God in an eternal hell. Yet verse 9 finds the psalmist rejoicing. <laughs> He's kicking it up. He's having a good old time. Look at what he said in verse 9. And I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. He's singing. He's shouting. He's enjoying himself. How is this possible? How can he rejoice before such a fearful judge? Well, first of all, I want you to see the relief of his people. The relief. After retra- retracting, uh, uh, su- re- receiving uh, such a, uh, a fearful dr- uh, dealings of a God, our judge, the psalmist, he begins to take relief in the fact that he is part of the judge's people. He said in verse 9, I'll sing praises to the God of Jacob. Obviously, this is a Hebrew writer. He identifies himself as a child of Jacob, a descendant of Jacob. And he said, that's my God. That judge, he is my God. This judge is not unknown unto him. Many of the heathen, many of the folks that renounce Christ and say no to Christ, they have no relationship with Christ. They have no relationship to God. They can't say they know God. But the psalmist says, says, I know God. I know this judge. This judge is my God. He is the God of my people. This judge has provided a way of us to escape this wrath to come upon all of sinful man. Barnes said it best. He said the God of Jacob The God Jacob worshipped. Notice he identified with this God. The God that Jacob worshipped. The God who proved himself to be his friend, Jacob's friend. Thus showing that he is the friend of all that trust him. You can't get more low down than Jacob. Anybody go in there and fool his daddy on his deathbed, uh, deathbed is a low down sorry rascal. You can't get no lower than Jacob. And yet God was the God of Jacob. That means there's hope for any sinful man. Anybody can be uh, can know God. Anybody can come into a relationship with God. This judge can also be my advocate. Boy, you talk about a shoe-in of a case. If the judge is your lawyer, hey man, you got a leg up in that case. You can't lose that case. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Whole world. Jesus Christ is not only the judge, He is the advocate. He is the one to go before. God has made a way of escape. God has made a way in which a sinful, rotten, unrighteous, rebellious, wicked man could be made righteous before the eyes of God. That brings us to the next point. Not only the relief of his people, but the righteousness of his people. Look at the latter part of verse 10. Or look at verse 10. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but 
the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. The horns of the righteous. Righteous? Righteous? There is none righteous. Romans 3.10 says, There's none righteous, no, not one. How can a man claim, stand there before the judge of the universe who sees all, knows all, and say he's righteous? There's not a single one in themselves that can do that. How can he stand before the judge of all and claim to be righteous? Romans 4 and verse 3 says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as what? Righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. You see, Abraham was righteous. Now, Abraham was anything but righteous. He lied about his wife. You remember that? Scared of the king. Lied about his wife. Uh, uh, went under the suggestions of his wife. Took Hagar. Tried to bypass God's plan. He, was, he wasn't morally, always morally right and upstanding. But what is Abraham known for? Abraham believed God and that was accounted unto him as righteousness. I, on this side of Calvary, on this side of the cross, I believe Jesus died for my sins, therefore is accounted unto me as righteousness. In my own self, I'm not righteous. I'm not, I don't have any stance, any claim to personal righteousness other than the fact that Jesus died for me. He died on that cross for me. He paid my sin debt. The judge accepted the payment of God. Romans, uh, Romans 5 eight. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made a way. He made a way so that I could receive righteousness. He took my unrighteousness. The judge accepted the payment by cause of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God raised Him up, sealing the fact that, Christ, that Jesus' uh, sacrifice on the cross was acceptable, and now He reigns on high, and now He receives all that will come to Him. You see, and, 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 only, uh, and now only the only question is, will you receive the payment? You're standing in the courtroom of God before the judge of the universe. Every mouth will be stopped. Because God holds up His law. You can't argue with the Ten Commandments. You can't get around it. It's written on your heart. You can't run from it. You have no arguments to post. Uh, no, no rebuttals to make. And God sent His Son Jesus to come into your courtroom. Pay your fine. Pay your penalty in His life's blood. The question is now, will you receive it? Will you take it for your own? That payment will sit there and do you no good if you don't say to the judge, I take that as mine. I receive Him. I receive what He did on that cross for my sin. It'll do you no good unless you receive it. What does it say, John 1 verse 12? But as many as receive Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. What do we say? Righteousness comes by faith. Righteousness, not of myself, Greg. You know me. I sin, I falter. But His righteousness is accounted to me because I have put my trust in Him, in Him alone. You see, this is the righteousness of His people. Not of their own, but it is of the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
the righteousness of His people, the relief of His people, and then finally the rejoicing of His people. Oh, now I see. Now I see how He can say in verse 1, Unto Thee, O God, the Judge of all the earth, unto Thee give thanks. Unto Thee do we give thanks, for Thy name is near, and Thy wondrous works declare. Oh, what wondrous works happened on Calvary's cross. Unbelievable how that the angels must have gasped as God's Son died for sinful man's place. We've got something to rejoice about. We've got something to shout about. We've got something to sing about. We've got something to celebrate. The judge of unquenchable power and absolute perfection has passed over your willful, willful, well-deserved sentence of destruction because of the blood of His dear Son. That's enough to shout about. That's enough to kick up a leg about, Brother Kevin. Christ died for my sins and now His judgment, that rags of wrath, that should have been poured out on me in the hills of North Carolina should have been poured out on me in Dade County, Georgia. He has withheld that, put it on his dear son. And now I've received the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's something to rejoice about. My sins are gone. My sins are gone. Hallelujah, my sins are gone. Although he may hold the cup of wrath in his hand, thank God it hasn't got my name on it. Thank God, he said in that garden, let this cup depart from me, but yet not my will, but thine be done. God's will was that Jesus drank the dregs of my punishment. God's will is that Christ would take into himself the very wrath, the unmitigated, uh, the unmixtured wrath of God upon his dear son on that cross. You see, sinner friend, Jesus Christ took your wrath on that cross. He took your cup. He even said it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, he didn't want to drink that cup. Oh, in that moment of where the humanity of Jesus came to the, the surface. Oh, let this cup pass from me. That cup of your blasphemy. That cup of your adultery. That cup of your wickedness that should have been for you. He willingly drank it on the cross of Calvary. Thank God for His precious Precious blood, Christian rejoice. Good Christian men and women rejoice. Christ died on the cross for our sins. That's enough to celebrate. That's enough unto God to give thanks for. Oh, listen, God is the judge, but He is also the advocate. Isn't it a comforting thought for the children of God to know that God is on the throne, that God is directing the path of our nation the path of our lives. Oh, listen, but also it should be something to be feared. In the year that King Uzziah died, it seemed like a horrible situation. Uzziah was a great king. It didn't seem like there was anybody that could replace him. But what did did Isaiah say? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Oh, in this year of transition, I don't know what's going to happen. It seems like our nation is going to, to pot quicker than we can, we, can, uh, we can do anything about it. Oh, but listen, we get our eyes off of political banter and get our eyes off political, uh, the, the political messaging and pass the signs and pass the, uh, the confetti and pass the balloons. There's a God in heaven that is the judge that takes men down and sets men up and accomplishes His will on this earth 
He is a God in heaven that overshadows our pride, that oversteps our promotion, that oversees the punishment of sinners, and that overshields the people of His rule. Oh, children of God, we are under His rule, under His protection because of the righteousness of His dear Son. Have you tried to rule your life on your own? Have you tried to manage your life and redirect it against opposing to the path of the truth of God? Have you, have you gone contrary to the conscience that God's placed in your heart that you've sinned against God? And one day there'll be, in a, there'll be a reckoning. One day you'll stand before a judge and give account for all your sins, the secret sins as well as those known to all. The secret sins that are, that are buried in the backyard, that are in the back closets, that are on the hard drives, that are in the computers. It will, you will give an account for it. Oh, but today there's an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous, steps forth. He says, I died for your sins. If you will repent and believe, you can have eternal life. Your sins can be forgiven. You can leave this place shouting like the psalmist. Oh, give thanks to the judge. Oh, give thanks to the God in heaven that reigns on high. Oh, would you come today? Let's all stand as we have a moment of invitation. God is the judge. God is the judge. He is, he is the judge that will judge in uprightness. It will judge in, up righteous, in righteousness. I'm going to tell you, you don't want right judgment. You want mercy. You want mercy today. You want mercy. Don't, don't ask for a trial. Why don't you sit? I tell those guys down at the jail every day, boys, wouldn't you like to settle out of court? Ladies, wouldn't you like to settle out of court today? Wouldn't you like to get a deal and not have to go to the courtroom and not have to stand before that fearful judge? Oh, today, you can settle out of the court with God. You can settle out of court with Jesus Christ today. You can come. Jesus said, any man thirsts, let him come to me. Jesus said, if you're tired and you're weary, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today. Don't put it off. Oh, listen, realize you're a sinner. Realize you've broken God's law and that you need forgiveness of sins. And that forgiveness, the only person that has power to forgive those sins is God Himself. And the only way He can do that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Come receive Him today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. I've told you that God is the judge. Whether you like it or not, whether the political figures of this day believe it or not, God is the judge. And God will judge sin. He will. If he, if he let folks off with sin, he'd be a crooked judge. God is not a crooked judge. He will judge sin and uprightness. Every right that's been done wrong to you will be made right. But every wrong you've done to somebody, it will be made right as well. If you're without Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You'll be crushed in the day standing before this judge. But I've been trying to tell you that Jesus came. And he took the cup of God's wrath on himself in that cross. That's what happened on that cross. It's not just some sentimental thing we sing about. There was a judicial exchange on that cross. God accepted his blood as payment for sinners. God accepted it as efficacious, as sufficient to blot out all the sin of those that will receive what he has provided. The only question is, will you receive Jesus today? Will you come? Is there one in this audience say, Brother Ronnie, I've never done that. Please pray for me. 
I don't, I don't, I don't even want to think about the, uh, the time when I might have to stand before the eyes, the penetrating eyes of the judge of the universe. Brother Ronnie, pray for me. I don't know Jesus. I've never been born again. Never had that radical change in my life. Went from darkness to light. Went from blindness to sight. Brother Ronnie, pray for me. Will there be one? Brother, raise your hand. I will not come to you. I wouldn't do anything in this world to embarrass you. But I would like to pray for you. Will there be one? What about you, Christian? Have you despaired? Have you despaired over what's happening? Have you despaired over what the reports are in the news and the polls are saying? Are you despairing from the way the country is going, a way of wickedness, a way of unrighteousness, a way of abortion? A way of the dissolving of what marriage means in our country? Are you despairing? Do you think there's no hope? I came to tell you, there's a judge today. There's a judge that sits on the throne and he overrules. He overrides. He oversees. He overshadows and overshields. You come today and place your trust in Jesus. If you're here lost today, maybe you couldn't raise your hand. Why don't you repent and believe? Why don't you put your trust in Jesus before it's too late, before you encounter that judge on the highway, in the turnpike, at the workplace, at the hospital? Why don't you put your trust in Jesus today before it's too late? You come. What song are we singing, Brother Tony? 371. Have thine own way. Lord, will you let him have his way today? Why don't you come as we begin to play? Let him have his way. Repent and believe the gospel. Yield to this judge as your advocate. Yield to this judge as your attorney. Oh, listen, the case is good if you'll repent and believe. Come to Jesus today. He'll save you. He'll forgive your sins, give you eternal life. Come to Jesus. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand